welcome listeners, friends, and most importantly, family, to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my man, Coles. I didn't realize I had um, a lot more family out there than um, I was led to believe, but hey, hey, all my new family members, how y'all doing? That's right. When we're here, Coles, we're family. And you can have any drink you want, as long as it's Corona. (laughs) That's right, guys. Tonight, we will be discussing F9. We will be giving you our thoughts on the newest entry in the Fast and the Furious franchise. That should be a fun discussion. But before we get to that, we want to talk about another film in a long-running series that we are both big fans of, and that is the DC Animated Universe. We're actually in Phase 2 now of the DC Animated Universe, and one film that was supposed to actually launch that universe was Batman The Long Halloween. It's actually been put out in two parts, and the story goes that this film was actually delayed, Coles, in case you weren't aware of this, for a couple of years, because when Matt Reeves signed on to do The Batman... This film was in development, but Matt Reeves was reportedly interested in adapting The Long Halloween for his film, his live-action film. And so they had to kind of put this animated film on the shelf until now. Um, That is actually also why you will see um, one of the voice actresses in this film, the voice actress for Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, is the late Naya Rivera of Glee fame. Uh, She drowned last year tragically. Um, in a river with her child. Her child did not drown. She was in the water trying to save her child, and she did. And and so she, this was her last performance of any kind. Actually, it was kind of bit of a, a bit of a raw feeling for me at first, uh, listening to her honestly. But she does a phenomenal job. Yeah. So just something added to know about the background for this. This is Batman: The Long Halloween Part One. It does star the voices of Jensen Ackles as well as Naya Rivera, Josh Duhamel. Billy Burke, Titus Welliver, David Dasmalchian, Troy Baker of video game voice fame, Amy Landecker, Julie Nathanson, Jack Quaid, Fred Tastaschiori, and Alistair Duncan. It is directed by Chris Palmer. It is written by Tim Sheridan and is based on characters by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. What's it about? Inspired by the iconic mid-90s DC story from Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, Batman The Long Halloween Part 1 begins as a brutal murder on Halloween, prompts Gotham's young vigilante, the Batman, to form a pact with the city's two only uncorrupt lawmen, police captain James Gordon and district attorney Harvey Dent, in order to take down the Roman, head of the notorious and powerful Falcone crime family. But when deaths occur on Thanksgiving and Christmas, it becomes clear that instead of ordinary gang violence, they're also dealing with a serial killer, the identity of whom with each conflicting clue, grows harder to discern. Few cases have ever tested the wits of the world's greatest detective like the mystery behind The Holiday Killer. Now, this is a beloved graphic novel. Uh, It is actually one of my favorites. I have read it. I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about comparing it because I haven't read it in ages, but I remember it very fondly. Have you read it, Coles? No, I have not, sadly. Well, maybe you'll be inspired to. I guess we'll find out if this makes you want to do that or not. Uh, why don't you get us started with what you liked about this newest Batman animated movie? 
I'm going to go ahead and give you an answer to your question. I am excited to dive into the graphic novel. This animated film was a gem. The gritty, dark, and Nora aesthetic really works for a Batman story because his, cause his um, whole mythology, his whole mythos is, um, is deeped into darkness. It's deeped into trauma. And we see Gotham City is going through trauma itself. It's a very dangerous city. It's very dark. The muted colors of the animation, which is still looks phenomenal but the muted colors adds to the troubled nature of what's going on in the city and we're seeing morality being tested all around we're seeing you know great areas like dent he wants to take down falcone he wants to take down this guy but he even questions should i do it the right way or should i like bend the rules a little bit so i and like try to get on the same equal level as these mobsters and then you know we have this killer who is striking on holiday so that adds a little bit of tension and a lot of stakes and a lot of fear and just when you think that you figured out that it's this guy no you get more things that are thrown in your way such as like red herrings and just different pieces to the puzzle and i guess that's why we have a part two because you know, it, it's up in the air. It's like a murder mystery. It's like a it's like a murder mystery novel. You know, it's about who done it. You know, we you think you you think you have this guy pinned down, and then it's not. And then you also see Batman. You know, he he's tested by this. You you were writing the synopsis about this case pushing him to the brink because there's a scene where he's talking with Alfred. And he's like, I thought that it was only about cleaning streets. I thought it was only about taking the bad guys out. But now I realize I gotta be a detective. A good one at that. So we already get to see the beginnings of Batman turning into the world's greatest detective. And then, you know, we have any Batman film with Joker. I mean, as long as it's not Suicide Squad, any Batman film with Joker is a plus. And the Joker in this film is brilliant. He's he's one of my favorite villains. He's a guy that doesn't have any superpowers. And he looks like a guy that it could be easy to break him apart. But he he's slimy. He always finds a way to test Batman. He always finds a way to create chaos. You know, his sheer will of his unhinged mental health is almost pretty much the thing that keeps him successful. He just finds a way to bring the city of Gotham closer to the brink of destruction. And then we also have the mysterious killer. And I'm excited to get to this part two. You know, I love these kind of films where it gives you a good starting point. It builds it up. There's so much talent, great direction, good action as well. A lot of strong thematic material and i'm excited for part two and i'm excited to get into this graphic novel because from what i see from you you read this years ago and it has a special place in your heart so i know that this is something that you were looking forward to and your excitement had me excited and this film fulfilled that excitement it really lived up to the hype that's awesome i'm really glad to hear that i love what you just pointed out because it is one of my favorite things about this story and that is that specific line that Batman says it's the only note that I took that was a quote and it was about how he talked about one becoming a detective like you said this is not a story that we're used to where Batman already is a great detective and we're expecting to see him utilize those skills he is learning them and in that process of that he makes mistakes and I actually love stories where Batman makes mistakes because and big mistakes like and that's okay because that's normal. He's a human. He's not an alien. He's not a superhero. You know, he is fallible. And the only way you get better at any task is by practicing and going through the process of learning. And that's what he's doing in this story. 
And it, it does. It really pushes him to the brink. And I love the fact that it's the trio of him and Gordon and Harvey Dent. And, and anyone who really enjoys the Dark Knight, I think, is going to find a lot to like here because of the similarities in how that trio is trying to undo Falcone and the, and the other chaos that's going on in the city. And they feel like they're all alone. And it's not just them. It's their families are put at risk, right? Gordon's family, uh, Dent's got a fiance, I believe, you know, Batman and Selena Kyle have a relationship. And so everyone has these other kind of personal dramas that they bring into this story with them that I think elevates what we see happening with their crime fighting personas because they're all so dedicated. There's also some fun stuff in here about the coin that kind of nods to Two-Face because Harvey Dent's not Two-Face yet and how he becomes Two-Face, a little bit of a, a fun little background kind of event that takes place. I really like that. There's an excellent post-credit scene. Did you watch it? Did you get to it? I didn't know there was. One. I didn't think you, I was afraid you might not. So you need to go back and check this post-credit. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it for the listeners, but I will tell you there is a fun little post-credit scene that happens and really nods towards some of what's going to be taking place in the next piece of the story and i think you'll really enjoy it it's it's short it's brief of course it's a post-credit scene but it's a it's a perfect little stinger um i, I thought that was nice uh, i i really like the animation as well i think you hit really the nail on the head with everything you said it's noir it's gritty it's got that gothic dark straight lines about it i just really enjoyed the lack of any bouncy fun superhero music there's none of that it doesn't it doesn't go back and forth it it's very tonally consistent and i think that that's what makes it work so well because it doesn't lighten up at times and i i, I would compare it sometimes to like maybe batman the animated series at times where you might get a darker episode but then you know because your cartoon and your you know, kids are watching as well a lot of times it'll kind of throw in something with a little bit lighthearted music and a little bit of funniness here and there this movie doesn't have that it's got houses blowing up like it's it's legit. It's got some actual, you know, some goriness to it, too. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit and, and I liked it a lot. Is there anything that you didn't care for? Can't say there is. Um, I loved everything about this. The only thing that I would say sucks is that I have to wait for a part two. I, I was ready to go ahead and just watch this full on full length. Like, go ahead, and give me the, the part two right there on autoplay. I was ready for it. Well, that's good to hear. I would say for me, I don't love Ackles as Batman. I, I like Jensen Ackles in his role in Supernatural, but he's never been just a throw. Like, I guess my point being is that there's been so many Batman actors at this point, and there's been so many Batman voice actors that it takes a lot to stand out. And he's serviceable. He's fine. I just didn't feel like he did anything special that made me go, oh, yeah, he's a really great Batman. He's 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 fine. You know, uh, so that was kind of like eh, for me, it didn't just not memorable. And the, the slow pacing of this, I am torn. I don't see why this couldn't have been a faster pace, two hour and 15 minute total movie. I feel like they really milked this and they've done this recently with multiple properties in their library where they put out like they did it with Superman too. 
they put out two parts of a film instead of one movie, right? And and it feels like a cash grab, Gilles. It, it feels like a cash grab. There's no need for this to be two 85-minute movies. There, there just isn't. And I and I think that that kind of rubs me the wrong way, but but it is enjoyable. And so ultimately, like, the thing is, we're getting it for free. If I had to pay 20 bucks times two, I'm not sure it's worth that. And that's a little bit, I think, of a bummer. But uh, if you wait to rent it, you're going to, you know, absolutely get your money's worth if you're renting both parts. So that kind of just, I just don't like that practice. It's not anything necessarily against the film. It still works fine, even though it's got that slower pace and it somewhat is to its advantage by stringing things out with from a dramatic and a thematic, you know, exploration kind of a angle. But I just, I, uh, yeah. They're just looking to strain the people along. It's the same thing that they did with the Dark Knight Returns Part 1, Part 2. Same thing they even did with Marvel with Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. And yeah, I mean, if you put those together, that's like a four to five hour film. So yes, I understand breaking it into two parts. But it's all about keeping the people there, wetting their tongues, wetting their mouth a little bit, and then having them just starving for the next part. So I like the marketing strategy, but as a viewer, I would have rather wanted to see it both parts right now. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? It'll be a month. We'll get the other one and we'll enjoy it. And hopefully uh, listeners will be able to get to it soon. Real quick, the special features on this particular disc. I wanted to tell you guys about those. I usually do that. This one is a little bit light on special features. I I was kind of underwhelmed, honestly. It has another showcase short from DC, which I have found those very enjoyable. The one on this one is about a group called the Losers from World War II. There's a Navy captain of sorts, there's Marine grunts, and there's Army special forces, and then there is a Chinese uh, special agent. And it's just, really, it's just a collection of World War II military stereotypes, to be honest. It's an interesting crew. Uh, it's got a lot of G.I. Joe and... Um, who else was it that I was, I was thinking of, but it's got these vibes to the, the A team. It's like a GI Joe and A team type vibe to the way that this group is, uh, comes together. It's fun. I actually liked it. I thought it was cool. They go on this little, you know, 16 minute adventure to an island that they're trying to destroy some, some sci-fi technology and they encounter a bunch of dinosaurs and it's really weird, uh, because it's a comic book thing, but it's fun. Uh, and I like discovering these older comic book characters that we never really knew existed because they never hit the mainstream. Other than that, there's a couple episodes of Batman the Animated Series, Christmas with the Joker, and It's Never Too Late. Always cool to have those, but, you know, they're just a, a, they're just a fun little inclusion. They're nothing that special. You can get that elsewhere. There's a sneak peek for part two of the movie. I didn't watch it because <laughs> I know what happens, and I'd rather see how they adapt it you know, straight up. And then there are a couple of previews of previously released DC animated films from phase one. There was like something on one of the Batman, I think it's Gotham and Gaslight and Gotham or Gotham by Gaslight was one of them. And Dark Knight Returns part one was the other one. Really, really strange to be promoting those two random films (laughs) not i know right like half of a movie not even both parts of like we were just talking about it was weird man so i for me having 
access to all of these movies on Blu-ray. WB, you know, thankfully sends them to us and getting to check into these special features. There's been much stronger special features where they actually talk to creators and go over development and, you know, discuss how the story came to life, you know, as an adaptation of the graphic novel. This one doesn't have that stuff. So a little bit let down by the Blu-ray release, but the movie itself is definitely good. So not coming to theaters, Coles. It is available now on video on demand and Blu-ray. So what do you think? Is it worth a $20 purchase on VOD? Is it worth a $20 Blu-ray? Do you think it's a no thanks or do you think people should just wait until it's able to be rented? If you are a Batman and a DC animated film person, then I think this is a must buy. I mean, you're already going to get part two when part two comes out. So might as well have part one to complete the collection. But um, if you are just a person who just generally watches superhero films, animated films, then I will wait to rent this um, instead of paying full price. I'm going to say it's worth a rental, that it is definitely not something that I would recommend buying straight up. And the reason I'm going to say that is I kind of – I didn't put this into my dislike category yet. I kind of sl- forgot to mention it. But for me, I don't find this to be super rewatchable. I d- didn't hit for me quite as much as it did for you. I thought it was good. I think it's lacking big, memorable moments that are the things that kind of draw me back in to want to rewatch a story. So it's just solid across the board, but it never hits a peak for me where I'd be like, yeah, this is worth 40 bucks. And I, and I, I can't view it outside of the context of knowing that you got to buy both parts. So if it was 20 bucks and you were getting two plus hours of, of a full story, I would give this a thumbs up and say buy it. But because you're not, I'd say rent it first and then determine how much you like it. And then if you actually feel like you're going to watch it multiple times, then you spend that 40 bucks to purchase it. It's a weird one. It's a weird one. I have a feeling that once part two comes out, they're going to, like a few months down the line, they're going to end up doing a deal where you can get both of these for the price of one. So I would say when that day comes, definitely do that. Yeah. So (laughs) maybe, maybe hold out for that if you can. Find a friend that owns it on Vudu and watch it via them. (laughs) All right. Well, moving on, we have a movie that we've been looking forward to all year. Kales just purchased the entire Fast and Furious franchise on 4K and went through it again. I go through it probably two times every single year as well. Patrick and I did an entire series on this. I think it was last year. So you can find all of those episodes. They're in the... 230, 240 range for the most part. I think Hobbs and Shaw is a little bit off and Fate is a little bit off because we covered that early in our podcast. The rest of them we did kind of all back to back to back, but we've covered all of them on the show. So if you're curious about that, you can find them in our feed. This one is officially titled. (laughs) You always got to wonder because there's definitely no rhyme or reason to how these things get titled. This one's called F9 The Fast Saga. Which was interesting to me, Colette, because I thought that the entire franchise had been rebranded as the Fast Saga. Yeah. But they're calling this movie the Fast... Whatever. Ugh. I'm calling it F9, because that's easy. It stars Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, John Cena, Natalie Emanuel, Jordana Brewster, Sung Kang, and it has Helen Mirren, Kurt Russell, for like a freaking second, and Charlize Theron. It is directed 
once again by Justin Lin returning to the franchise. It is written by Daniel Casey and Justin Lin and is based on characters by Gary Scott Thompson. What's it about? Cypher, that is Charlize Theron's kind of high-tech villain from The Fate of the Furious, enlists the help of Jacob, Dom's younger brother, to take revenge on Dom and his team. That's a very, very simplified version of the premise. Okay, man, here we go. Uh, what did you like about F9? Um, if there's one thing that has been consistent about these films ever since Fast Five is the connection between Roman and Tedge. And I love these guys when they banter back, they, you know, they like crash talk each other, they crack jokes at one another. I love that partnership and that's present here. The first half of the film, I didn't really mind at all. It had like an Indiana Jones, you even said Uncharted, you know, that Call of Duty kind of feel, you know, where we're going through the jungle and we're dodging landmines and explosions. And to be honest, I know that I often quip about the the bending of physics in these films and just the miraculous things that these characters get away with. But there are some awesome parts of that physics bending that we get like there's one part where Vin Diesel's car is able to get hooked onto something and he's able to swing almost like Tarzan around to another part of the island and then we get another part where there's a garbage truck with a with full of magnets that is able just to suck in all these cars from across the street and then there's a scene where John Cena is hand gliding for at least like a year. Like he's just, every scene they cut back to him, he's hand gliding just across the city of London. Like it's nothing. Like he's Mary Poppins almost. And so I do enjoy the ridiculousness factor of the action at certain points. And I mean, it was good to see uh, a couple of the characters that we've known in the past, a few of the characters we've known in the past. Lucas Black and Twinkie from Tokyo Drift. It was, I was happy to see them, even though they made me feel old with the way that they were looking. And of course, you know, there is the addition of Han, but I'm going to get to him in a little bit because I have more problems with it than benefits. Yeah, uh, that that is a few other things I like because there are more things I don't like about this film. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, sadly, that's the case. I, Oh, boy. OK, where to get started? So everything we're talking about, just so you know, listeners, is in the trailers. We, we call the show, the show spoiler free and we want to stick to that. But. I do know what has been in the trailers. I like to go back and watch them after we watch a movie for ones that we didn't catch just to kind of be safe. And so I'm actually going to give you my one dislike right up front before I start. That's part of the problem. Literally everything that is cool in this movie is in the trailers because they put out 15 trailers. Every single awesome action scene has been in the trailers. The car hooking onto a bridge, the magnet plane, the magnet pulling the car through the building. The magnets, this movie is F9 Magnet, the movie. The magnets making the, the big transport, military transport, duck-like vehicle flip up over on its side. I mean, it truly, they're all there in all the big action set pieces. And, you know, even a shot of this car with rockets strapped onto it that is seemingly going to take Tej and Roman into space. That's all on the, it's all on the trailers, which... Just stop it. Stop it, Hollywood. Just freaking stop it. Like, I want to experience this stuff in a movie like for Colestia for the first time, right? Or like we do now, we, we, we have a better experience that way. And so, anywho, moving on, just so you know, we're not going to ruin it. And frankly, this is not the kind of movie that we could probably ruin for you anyway. What did I like? This is what I wrote on Twitter 
and what I gave to our press rep and, and et cetera after the movie. I said, F9 is the most expensive, self-aware, comedic, superhero action blockbuster soap opera ever made. It is absolute trash, and I loved it. And I stand by that. The thing about this movie that I appreciate the most is not how good it is. It's not. It's actually bad. <laughs> like I said, it's trash. It's it's bad. But it's self-aware to the point where I appreciate that if they're going to keep making these movies, Coles, the only logical way to do that and have any chance of retaining an audience, in my opinion, is to do this, which is to literally poke fun at themselves. There's an ongoing joke throughout the whole movie about Roman wondering if they're invincible because they never get hurt. I found that pretty hilarious as kind of a meta commentary on the way that the series has progressed, especially from fate on to now. Fate, Hobbs and Shaw, F9 have all become just off the charts, right? For me, I don't mind that we have now entered a different realm where stakes don't matter. Characters aren't going to like die. It's just absolutely as bonkers and ridiculous as they can think of a concept to make it. At this point, like they're literally just, in fact, there's a scene in the movie that hints to this where I think it's Dom's kid is playing with like a car and like smashing it through a space shuttle or something like that. And like, that's exactly what these movies are. They're a toddler with a bunch of action figures and cars in his room, like doing weird stuff with them. And only they have a $200 million budget to do that with is basically what has become. And the narrative falls along with that. But I like the fact that they're able to poke fun with themselves because I think the more serious you try to be while being ridiculous, it actually, it, for me, it hits worse. And for, and, and I enjoyed this because they didn't take themselves seriously. They, They leaned into the cheese. I love the relationship between Tej and Roman. I always will. They have the best dialogue. I think it's because those two's dialogue throughout the entirety of their relationship fits best within the cheesy world that they now are all operating in, right? Like it used to be they were like the little comedic relief. Now everybody tries to be Tej and Roman. (laughs) And of course that doesn't always work. But Tej and Roman have an awesome relationship. I... Like, see, I, this is weird because see, I said I loved it, right? This is the thing. I enjoyed watching it. That's the, but I did. My son and I laughed. This is the best comedy of the year. My son and I, my, the whole theater, and Coles cannot argue this, the whole theater was howling at this movie. (laughs) But they were howling at it. One of our fellow critics said this to me on Facebook. He was like, this is kind of like The Room. And I made fun of him, but like, he's a little bit right because when you go see the movie The Room in a theater, You don't go see it because you want to see a good movie. You go see it because you want to roast it with a bunch of people. It's like Mystery Science Theater 3000. And that's what watching F9 was like. It was everybody looking at each other side-eyed with their mouth agape going, come on, man. Like that kind of laughter. I had fun. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I will probably never watch this one again. I don't know that I have a desire. For me, at this point, I think the series ends with F7. Like, that's my arc of the characters, and I'm content with that. I will continue to go see them, I will continue to enjoy them, and I love what they've given me, but man, 
I guess we'll move into dislikes and, and like our criticisms and, and tell you why it's not good. But the, the old thing, I'm going to start with the old thing and then I'm going to kick it to you. That stuck out to me like a sore thumb. They are all old and, and it shows it like the action doesn't look great because Dom, Vin Diesel hardly is even trying at points. Like doesn't even look like he's moving sometimes. Like the camera is doing the action work, not the movement of this guy the rest some of them i mean i'm not i'm not this is not me attacking anybody's physical appearance but it's calling out like a legitimate difference in age of your ability to be an action star that's what i'm getting at sean and twinkie from from uh, tokyo my dude why are these people still man oh oh rough (laughs) really rough really really rough i mean all these characters are starting to show that. And, and it's like, it's get That's what part of why I called it like a soap opera. It's getting to that point where it's like, you've been doing these roles so long. At some point it now is not cool to watch. Han looks old. Sun Kang just looks old. You no longer have that believability factor of where it's like these young studly, you know, fit athletic characters doing these things. Now it's just, it makes no sense at all. Like it's just completely dumb. And so, and, and I, and then they, half of this movie, not half, but a good chunk of this movie spent in flashbacks. The characters that they chose to play the young Dom and young Jacob. <laughs> I just, it's dumb. I, it's dumb. It's a dumb movie. It, it's very dumb. <laughs> Go ahead. Coleste, roast it. Get into your old point. Vin Diesel, every time I saw him in the scene, it looked like he had just woken up from a nap, and the director was like, hey, come on in, let's get your scene done so you can get back to so I mean, dude was just, anytime words were coming out of his mouth, it felt so monotonic, so moody, so just boring, like he didn't want to be there. And I'm starting to wonder, are these guys just doing these films for the check, or do they really want to do it because they believe in the sense of family, they believe in keeping the saga alive, because... I'm starting to see a lot of staleness in this series. I mean, look at the look at the plot device that this film revolves around again. It revolves around an objective, like a video game objective. Hey guys, there's an object out there. And if this person gets hold of said object, he's going to bend the world to his knees. And he's going to have all this power. The superpower is going to be begging him, begging him or her to not do anything bad. So you know what? You got to stop them, please. And guess what? That same plot device was in Fast 8. That same plot device was in Fast 7. <laughs> I mean, the Ares device that's in this film that John Cena is coming after is essentially a bootleg version of God's Eye from Fast 8. <laughs> and also, the way this film does its villains, I mean, do they really have villains anymore? Like, they keep putting in these guest stars, these, like, celebrity guest stars to play these villains, to play these antagonists. But do they ever really feel villains? No. They're villain in name. I mean, look at... I just want to tell the viewers out there. Look at what happens to John Cena's arc in this film. You think that he's going to be this, like, foe for Dom. You think there's going to be serious ramifications for their relationship. Just watch what they do to his character arc throughout the film. Also, the flashbacks, the actors. I mean, you know, good thing they found an actor to play Dom that's all that's almost lifeless in his voice delivery <laughs> and his mannerisms it was like they they got a body double to play him they and did it, it's just and also the flashbacks i mean i understand that they wanted to show where 
Dom's dad had died and everything, and this is what created Dom. This is what started the whole series and everything. But it's just not compelling. Like, I, I, and, and it keeps interrupting the, and it keeps interrupting the film. Like, yeah. they, these flashbacks are not something I wanted to see. Like, anytime they came on, I wasn't really like sitting in my seat waiting for a new detail to come out. It, it just felt like it was a placeholder, just a way to add more minutes to the story. I mean, the action, you know, the CGI in this film is bad at parts. I could tell it's in the awful. Early, like. There's Awful. A, there's a scene where Michelle Rodriguez is riding a motorcycle, but you can clearly tell that it's not really Michelle Rodriguez. It's a, it's a computer rendering of what Michelle Rodriguez looks like to the AI. And her head literally turns her, her head literally turns and moves like almost she's Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Like yep. I literally turn to my girlfriend's like, did she just turn her neck like like the girl from The Exorcist? And there's no sex in these films anymore. I don't know why people keep expecting for something serious or something dramatic to happen anymore like if you're a main character you're not going to die in this film there are so many parts where they they tease that these characters are like oh like this car just fell on top of them like oh this person's about to drown and oh these people are in danger but you never really feel that they're in danger you just know that they're going to end up okay and that's my point if these these films will go so much better for me if they just come out and say hey these guys are made of vibranium they're made of some titanium or just like some regenerative stuff and they just go on these missions and they go across the world and they stop bad guys okay give me that stop treating these characters like they're just normal characters because they're not anymore they're superheroes they're avengers instead of the ff Jurassic park crossover let's get the ff and the mcu crossover event started like put these guys get them some outfits get them some suits and let them fight with captain marvel let them fight with black panther let them fight with um Hawkeye and all these guys and you know the Eternals let them fight with them because they deserve to be in that world I mean I understand that this series has gone to a point where it's almost up it's absurdly audacious in everything it does and I guess it it was a slippery slope to get to that point I understand that but it, it it's it's big it's dumb and it's something just not entertaining anymore it's it's reductive it's 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 not anything new and just the way that they bring back Han this is one of the key points that I was worried about when I saw the first trailer when I saw Han come back I was like okay how are they going to explain that this guy gets back and sure enough the way that they explain it is so just confusing and convoluted and just bad they don't even yeah they don't even sell it like the the reasoning and the explanation they give it literally doesn't make sense like it there is no logical way in which that could happen it, it just doesn't make any logical sense and they're they just they're like, basically telling you it would have almost been better if they didn't explain it if they just said uh you know i just got out of it or whatever like it wasn't me it was a body double you know like or it was you know i wasn't in that car you, whatever the case may be. but instead it's just it's it's asinine the way that they try to bring i completely agree with you it, it it hurt my brain and it just makes me wonder, okay, so what is good that these characters do die in these films? Like the death of Han in Tokyo Drift was a big moment for me when I saw it in theater. When I saw it in theaters, when I understood watching Fast Five and Fast Six and seeing what happens to Han in Tokyo, that adds some relevance to that event. But that gets erased for nothing. It's like, no, let's bring back Han so we can put more people into the seats. Because the people are starting to catch on that we're doing the same film every time. They see that there's no effort. So let's bring back these fable characters and let's hope that that gets the nostalgia factor up. And people will excuse all the other bad things that are surrounding this film. But no. And Lucas Black, it looks like he's ready to be a grandfather. I I'm sorry. I know. Does. And, <laughs> yeah. 
And Twinkie, I mean, I saw Tokyo Drift a couple of days before this film, and seeing, like, those guys now, it's like, wow. Like, it, and literally, they only have, like, one or two scenes, and then boom, that it's over for them. And <laughs> it and looks also, like they're 20 years older. I mean, it just looks like they're 20 years older. Yeah, it, and, and, and everybody comes back. Everybody, like, that's the thing about this movie, is if, if you've been in a Fast and Furious movie in the previous 20 years or whatever of the franchise, it felt like they tried to bring you into this film. And they really, it, the way that Jordana Brewster shows up, the way the way that Mia ends up part of this is also, that one bothered me. Because the way, the way they explain away where Bri- what Brian is doing... And the fact that Mia could come on this mission, but Brian is not present, it just, it's insulting, frankly. And also, like, wow, Mia could all of a sudden just throw down with everybody. Like, it, it was never really teasing other films that she had these fighting skills, but all of a sudden, she's breaking glasses over people. She just didn't do hey, Mike Tyson haymakers. And I was like, where was this Mia the whole time? Because in the other films, she was just a piece to use for being in danger, for being a hostage, for being a damsel in distress. I just... I wouldn't mind these films if they tried to do something new, if they just wouldn't rinse and repeat their formula. Like, if you're going to go audacious, like, turn into a sci-fi film. I mean, like, do something just new. Do something that's going to bring me some interest, that's going to capture my attention. And this film doesn't do it for me. And it easily is going to sit among one of the worst films in the series for me. But I can't deny it. It is a comedy. I'm probably, once the 4K or the Blu-ray comes out, I might just rent it. And I might just sit back, chill out on a Saturday night, and just laugh at it because it's very unintentionally funny. I mean, the whole time the crowd was just into it, but based on just how bad everything was, you have to laugh at it because you have to laugh to keep from crying. And you're also laughing because this series has just like gone down a downhill that no one saw coming. I mean, there were so many chances to end this gracefully. Furious 7, you could have ended this on a high note. You could have been done with it. But hey, these films are going to continue to make money. You know, they're going to continue to be made. They're already thinking about doing spinoffs. They're going to have a Dom spinoff, which I hope is not with Vin Diesel, because checking on his limited range as an actor in these films, he's not going to be able to lead it, right? Um, the all-female spinoff, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. Um, and eventually, they're going to have Brian's kids, and they're going to have Dom's kids, and they're going to have a series starting with that. But frankly, unless there's another Hobbs and Shaw film, I think I'm done with this series for good. And I'll just keep the ones that I have now in my special memory. Wow. All right. Well, I will ask you, are you feeling, feeling it? <laughs> Would you recommend the movie uh, theater, rental, or no? <laughs> I'm not feeling it. But I would recommend it if you're looking to get a good laugh for two hours. If you need a good laugh and you're having a depressive day and things are just going bad, why, go into the theater, watch this film, get you a big bag of popcorn, and just sit back and get ready to laugh at the things that some of the things they want you to laugh, and also the things that are also the flaws of this film. So get ready to laugh. I would recommend it for that. But unless you're not in on the joke, don't watch this. Well, I'm going to say I recommend it. And the reason I recommend it is because I, I, I will give a caveat as well. This is the deal. If you cannot get past what the fra- franchise was, before this ridiculousness, then you probably are not going to enjoy this and even be able to laugh at it in a way that is overall worth your money and and enjoyable for you. Me, I was. I'm able to see them and their dumbness 
I think that it's intentional. I think that it's on purpose. And so I'm okay with that because I've let go of what that franchise means to me. It, or I, I take that back. I haven't let go of what it means to me. It means the world to me. But I am able to now separate that from what it has become and look at it as a complete parody of itself and enjoy it as that without putting the expectations of it to continue being this great emotional thing that got me in love with it in the first place. If you can't reach that place that I'm talking about right now, you're wasting your money. <laughs> if you can get to at least somewhere near what I'm talking about, then I think that, yeah, like Colette said, you're going to have fun in a way, in a sense, it's going to be funny. It's a comedy. You're going to laugh and you're going to shake your head and you're going to be like, wow. I, I don't know if it's going to have that same effect at home. I think people are going to just turn it off if they're watching it at home, frankly. When you're stuck in a theater, you're kind of a captive yeah. audience. And the the communal aspect of everybody in that theater laughing and being like, what? All at once is an experience. If you're just sitting at your home couch by yourself with your girlfriend, your wife, your best friend, whatever, your kids – I could see a lot of people just being like, next, this is dumb. I got other things to do. So I don't know. That's where I land with it. I guess that's not fully a recommendation for anything, but uh, that's how we feel. This is going to be available in theaters on June 25th. So make your decision. That's it for us this time on FF Plus, And we want to know what you think, because we know that most of you are probably going to go see it no matter what we say. And we want to hear what you did think. So you can hit us up on Twitter at Feelin' Film and at Black Nerd Magic, and you can come and join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. I am quite certain there will be plenty of conversation about this movie going on all weekend and beyond. And we would love to have you come be a part of that conversation and that group and great film community that we have built. We will be back next week with a couple of FF Plus episodes covering about five movies. We have got a big slate. We've got some I think three documentaries. We've got Black Widow on the docket. And we've also got the new Chris Pratt sci-fi movie, The Tomorrow War, coming up. So you're going to have a lot of new content from us in the next probably seven days. So stay tuned. We will be back soon. Until then, keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.